Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now, at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or a leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Barker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm Addie Broyles. And I'm Alyssa Vidalis, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake and the offices of the Austin American Statesman. In this week's episode, Austin 360 music writer Deborah Sengupta Stith interviews the January Artist of the Month, Leslie Reynaga, a former University of Texas mariachi soloist who grew up in Monterey, Mexico. Last year, Reynaga recorded her EP, Dual Passport, while racing to complete her citizenship test in time to vote for the 2018 midterm election. She and Deborah talk about why immigration emerges as a dominant theme in her vibrant Spanglish pop songs. Why read a magazine when you can experience it? That's the idea behind Pop-Up Magazine, a theatrical journalism show that is coming to Austin on February 13th at Hogg Auditorium. Onstage talent includes Will Butler of Arcade Fire and Stephanie Fu from This American Life. I chatted with producer and Austin native Haley Howell about what it's like bringing a magazine to life through this onstage storytelling experience. And we wrap our show, as always, with our recommendations in a segment we call A Toast. But first, here's Deborah and Leslie. Leslie Reynaga, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you so much, Deborah. It's my pleasure to be here. Leslie uh, was our Austin 360 Artist of the Month for January this year, and she has a new album, Dual Passport, that uh, just came out. When did that just come out? It just came out on November the 2nd. So it's pretty new at this point that she's pushing. So uh, the title of the album, Dual Passport, it actually talks about um, an experience that you were having trying to get your dual passport. Correct, yes. So um, I'm an immigrant. I was born and raised in Mexico, Monterey to be specific, And um, I've been in Texas since I was 16, and it's been really um, a wonderful experience for me to adjust into a new life, a new culture. And being bilingual and bicultural, the one thing that I was missing in my life was being binational. And um, that's when I began the process of, of becoming a U.S. citizen. And you did it last year, 2018, and I know part of your motivation was to get your citizenship so that you could vote in the midterm elections. Correct, yeah. So um, I'm very fortunate that my dad's family actually goes back to Texas, um, down in the Rio Grande Valley specifically. Like many families in yeah. Texas, across the border, straddle the border. Exactly. So I kind of grew up going back and forth between Monterey and McAllen, which is where my dad's family lives. And so um, I'm very fortunate that I have that history because that allowed me to become a U.S. citizen. Without that background, it would have been very difficult to do it. So 2018 was a very big year for me being able to, um, like you said, focus on on voting. And in order to do that, I needed my U.S. passport. So while I was going through that process, um, my my writing, my songwriting kind of went to that same place because that was such an important part of of my my identity and, and just my journey in 2018 and so that's kind of what what um, became the focus of my my latest release which is a six song EP dual passport I'm from here and I'm from there all American girl 
uh, you sing about how you're an all-American girl now. And and I love that, that uh, this definition of all-American can include the immigrant experience and should include the immigrant experience because we're all immigrants. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I... I really feel that um, connection to to the, the stories out there. Like I said, I'm so fortunate that I'm able to be here legally and, and having that family history. I'm able to become a U.S. citizen, but there's a lot of immigrants who don't have that opportunity and they don't have that easy access. And even though my story is different than theirs in that regard, I can still identify with, you know, the struggle of adjusting to a new life and and leaving everything behind to pursue something better and you know, just a, a better brighter future so um i'm really hoping that my music can portray that and that can connect with particularly those communities who feel ostracized and left behind Um, you, you deal with these issues uh, of people who don't have those same opportunities in the, the track The Beast on your album kind of uh, really digs into that. Can you talk a little bit about what that track is? What, what's The Beast? Sure. So The Beast is a freight train that actually crosses all the way through Mexico. Um, the starting point is down in the border with Mexico and Guatemala. So um, The Beast takes its name, this freight train, after the the really rough path that a lot of immigrants go through in order to reach the U.S. Mexico border, um, so there's immigrants from Guatemala, El Salvador, and especially now with what we're hearing about the caravans of immigrants, um, it's really important that people understand that these people are coming from really really rough circumstances, and so. There, one particular transportation method for a lot of them to reach the U.S. is riding on the back of this freight train called the Beast. And again, it's it's a rough, rough path. And so, you know, these immigrants are losing limbs, falling off of the train on the ride to, you know, a, a, a brighter future. And um, a lot of them get, you know, they get kidnapped and they get, they're such a vulnerable population that it's a really, really perilous trip for them. So the beast is something that a lot of people, especially here in Texas, being on the border with the U.S. and Mexico, we really need to understand what a lot of these immigrants are going through. And and I wanted to tell that story of the beast because I actually got an opportunity to take a trip with family down to the state of Chiapas in Mexico, which is in the border with Guatemala. And um, we, we got to see the tracks of the beast, the train. And wow. that's where I first heard about what it was. And it really struck me. She watched the sun slowly go down from the seeing a lot of um, you know a lot of negativity around the conversation of, of immigrants and whether you know they they have the the right to be here or not and whether you believe that they do or not it's really important to understand their circumstances and what they're facing so the beast was inspired in, in that uh, personal story of having seen the actual tracks of the train and and just reading and learning more about it yeah. 
even though your family, uh, you are able to naturalize through the legal process, um, your mom can't come to the country. Is that true? That's true. Yes. Um, so my mom hasn't been, been able to come to the U.S. for two decades, probably over two decades. It's It's been a long time. And so, um, you know, my mom is my rock. She raised me and my two siblings and kind of as a single mother. My, my parents divorced when I was six years old. So... Um, my mom has been a really important foundation in, in my life and everything that I do. And it's obviously difficult to not have her be able to come visit because every single performance or milestone or whatever it is, um, she hasn't been able to be there to see it physically, right. um, you know, from graduating high school down in, in the Valley. Cause by the way, that's where I first lived when I moved to Texas. Right. I, I lived in McAllen with my dad's family. And then two years after, um, Having arrived in McAllen, I graduated high school and then moved to Austin to pursue college here. And so um, uh, being here in, in Austin, there's been so many, so many things that my mom has missed and um, it's rough. But at the same time, it, you know, it makes our, our family bond that much stronger. And I luckily it's 2018 and I'm able to, you know, Skype and text and call anytime I want what's up particularly right so right <laughs> so um but this year you're hopefully going to be performing in your hometown so she'll yeah. get to see you perform yeah exactly so uh, we're working on on a, a plan to to make our way down to um, Monterey Mexico so that's that's going to be really exciting again like I said my mom has missed a lot of these this stuff even though she has continued to follow it from far away she really um, has such a beautiful positive attitude in life that you know I, I may not be there physically but I'm absolutely with you in spirit and I'm following everything that you do on Facebook and everywhere else online so uh, yeah she'll be really happy to see me perform live for sure what else do you have coming up this year um so we are pursuing a, a tour that is gonna take us all the way through um you know, from Memphis and in Nashville all the way to New York City. And so that's um, that's going to be really big for me. I actually got to go to New York City in 2017. And so I'm really looking forward to make my way back there. Uh, you have uh, you have uh, your your sound is um, kind of Spanglish, you would say, because uh, you sing in Spanish and you sing in English. I feel like there's a really big market for that uh, right now out in the country at large. Uh, is that what you've experienced? Um, yeah. So I actually um, I'm going to mention this particular gig that I uh, got to to play in Dallas. Um, it was at the Kessler in Dallas, and it was such an incredible experience because the audience. Um, was mostly from the Valley. I was actually opening for Del Castillo, another Austin bass band. Great, great guys. Um, and uh, the, they are from the Valley originally. So their following happened to be from the Valley. So when I, when I started playing my songs, they absolutely were drawn to it. And so I was really confused because I thought, I, you know, I was going to be playing for a lot of people from, from Dallas, but these guys, as soon as they heard that, you know, I'm an immigrant and I lived in the valley and I speak English and Spanish and they started hearing my story through my lyrics, they really connected. 
and that touched me really 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 deep and and it just again it's those experiences that that continue to push me to just do what i do and and uh pursue my art i think that uh you're going to be touching a lot more people going forward this year um thank you so much for coming in to chat with us for a little while leslie thank you deborah i really appreciate it and thank you to austin 360 and and statesman and just for being such a wonderful uh, supporting community in austin Magazine is coming to UT's Hog Auditorium on February 13th. I chatted with one of the show's producers, Haley Howell, about what Austinites can expect from this out-of-the-ordinary performance. Haley Howell, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So you are a part of this traveling band called Pop-Up Magazine. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure. So Pop-Up Magazine um, is a live magazine. And it's in its simplest form, that's what we are. We are a live magazine, and um, instead of existing on the page, we exist in theaters um, and on stage. So um, we like to tell people it's kind of like a podcast, a documentary film, a comedy show, a play, and a concert all wrapped up into one. So if you like any of those things, you're probably going to like our show. Um, The night unfolds like a classic general interest magazine. Um, So you come to the show, you hear storytellers from all different mediums. So we've got photographers, filmmakers, writers, radio producers, telling stories. They're all true stories. Um, And so you're going to hear a story, hopefully, that you've never heard before. We've got a house band, the Magic Magic Orchestra, who's playing a live score to those stories. And we've got a big screen in the middle of the stage where we show commissioned art, animation, photographs, film clips. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what you get when you walk into the theater for a Pop-Up Magazine show. Pop-Up Magazine is unique in the way that there's no proof that it happened online. Yeah, so we don't record the show. You have to be there to see it. Um, and I think, you know, we're so used to seeing everything online all of the time we wanted people to be able to unplug and experience something that was created especially for them in that moment no two shows are the same so you're not gonna see this or hear this anywhere else um you know and i think you're a lot of us are used to experiencing stories in isolation by ourselves and when you see a story with a group of people i think something really special and and magical happens and you know, there's also something about seeing a show that you know is being recorded. It kind of changes the atmosphere. And so that's that's kind of the ethos behind the, the ephemeral part of our show. So tell us a little bit of the roster of contributors coming to sh- this show. Yeah. Um, so we've got Will Butler, who is a part of the band Arcade Fire. He's doing a story, a musical story. We have got Ed Young, an incredible science writer. 
Um, we've also got somebody that I'm really excited about, um, a local contributor, Audrey McGlinchey, who's the city hall reporter um, for KUT, which is my, um, it's not my alma mater, but I tour to KUT, so I'm excited to have to have Audrey. We've got Stephanie Fu, who is a producer at This American Life, um, a filmmaker, Sophia Nali Allison, another writer named Jerome Jacobson. It's It's a really good crew. It's a lot of folks who... Maybe you've heard of before, and then maybe some unknowns who who you've never heard of before, but who are going to kind of really surprise you with their story. Yeah. What kind of goes into crafting a story for with multimedia for like an experience? I mean, I like to say that we operate like a print magazine, um, and then at some point we flip the switch and we become a theater production company. So. For the first portion of the process, it's a lot like any print publication um, where we're working on editing the script. And we've got an incredible art team who we'll work with to figure out what the story needs. Does it need photos or do we need to shoot video or should we commission an animator animator, or, um, you know, what will serve the story best visually? And then we've also got an incredible um, music director, Mina Choi, who we'll work with in collaboration with the contributor to figure out what music would enhance the story the best. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the process. And then we go on tour and we, like you said, become a traveling band, basically. <laughs> I think the most concrete way that, that touring and, and traveling around affects our content is that in each place we go, we have some local contributors and some local stories um, that give that city and that audience a sense of like ownership and place and meaning um, that is specific to them. You know, like um, a story that we might have in Austin will only be in Austin and won't play. You know, maybe it wouldn't land in New York in the same way and vice versa. That said, a lot of our stories go to tour around and go to each place. Um, but I think traveling, you know, we meet a lot of people as well in our audiences that then become our contributors. Um, so so it's really it's really nice to be able to go, you know, around the country and meet just different kind of creative, dynamic people all over the place. Our goal with every show is to hit a range of emotions. We want you to have like a deep, deep belly laugh we want you to learn something and feel something. You know, we have funny stories. We have sad stories. We have important political stories. I want people to walk away with a sense of hope and um, maybe to feel excited about the future of storytelling and um, the future of media, I think, and to just feel a sense of community when you leave the theater. You know, after the show, everyone gets together and mingles, the audience with the contributors and the people that just told the story. And so I think that's the moment for everyone to kind of like reflect on what they just saw and, yeah, talk about it. Yeah, it's an interesting medium. Uh, it seems like this is is it seems like this is first and foremost entertainment, but yet it's also informative. Uh, mm-hmm. What's that line like of 
creating theater, but also being factual? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have the same standards of any print or, you know, any other journalistic, you know, company. And we want, you know, when we're putting together the show, we're really adamant about what themes we're hitting. You know, we want there to be all different kinds of stories. We want to have a science story and a culture story and a sports story. You know, like, I want there to be, you know, we've got 10 stories in every show. I want each story to cater to everyone in some way. You know, just because you're not a sports fan doesn't mean you're not going to enjoy the sports story or just because, you know, you're not interested in science doesn't mean you're not going to, like, learn something really interesting and engaging in, in a story that maybe centers around some science. Um, so, yeah, we, we put a lot of care into, like, the kinds of stories we put into each show. So one thing I have heard about pop Magazine is just this use of sound and visuals, but there's other kind of, like, senses going on. Yeah, yeah. So we, we think of live as kind of being its own medium. So in the way a story might live on the pages of a magazine or a podcast, the story lives differently in a theater on stage in our show. And so we try to think of ways that we can kind of bring a story off the stage or into the audience or what can we do to make it kind of theatrical. And so to me, Nostra is a dear friend and part of our family out here in the Bay Area. And she did a story a couple of years ago, I believe it was in the spring of 2016, about war and conflict and how that affects all of us and the things we eat. Um, And she demonstrated that by letting the audience taste the effects of war and conflict in the cinnamon we consume. So in the program, when you walk in, you get a program, and inside the program, the audience got a little bag that had two marshmallows in it, one pink, one white, and one was um, a kind of cinnamon before war that maybe our grandparents had, and the other one was a cinnamon we had that was available to us after the war. Yeah, so the audience got to taste that story. That's awesome. <laughs> we will have a sense story in this Austin, this upcoming Austin show. We will have a story that you that the audience will be able to smell. Well, that's exciting. Is it barbecue? Because I'll buy two tickets. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I wish. So you mentioned that um, this is the last. Is Austin is the last leg of the tour? Last show of the tour? Yeah, the last show of our of our winter, our 2019 winter issue. Yeah. How many shows have y'all done? I truly, I do not know how many, I think we did, I think we hit our 50 mark last year. Oh God, I truly don't know how many shows we've done. It's a lot. It's up there Um, since 2009. So what's it feel like to kind of land the plane in a place that you know so well here in Austin? It feels so good. I mean, Finishing the tour is always bittersweet. It's something that I look forward to because it's like a big celebration. Like you can take a big sigh after the last show of relief and kind of just like celebrate. Um, But it also means that like 
the months that you've been traveling around with this very specific group of people, it kind of feels like camp, like the end of camp or something. Um, but to be ending it in Austin um, with my hometown crowd, I I couldn't, I didn't plan that, but I couldn't have planned it better if I did. Um, the people who route our tours um, maybe were just giving me a nice, a nice nod. It's two days before my birthday as well, so I'm just like extra excited to be back home. That's so great. So is everyone looking yeah, to you for that. recommendations? Yeah, for sure. I always have to like kind of write up like a a, a page of like recs whenever we come to Austin, but it's changing so much. It's like there's all these new places that I want to go that, you know, my my old spots maybe either aren't around anymore or are or they're new, better places that I want to check out. The struggle is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, where's the first, where's the place like you have to go before you leave? Uh, Tamale House East. Yes. Always. Um, I have to swim. Like, I have to go to the Springs or to Deep Eddy and then go up to the cabaret and have a beer. The coldest beer in Austin at Deep Eddy Cabaret. Um, I have to see my friends and I have to have like a two step somewhere while I'm home because I miss country dancing and breakfast tacos the most. Well, I hope you have a great visit here and a wonderful show. <laughs> but Thank thanks. you so much. Yeah. And thanks for stopping by and telling us about the show. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And now we've come to the segment of our show we call A Toast. And with me this week, I have Sharon Chapman and Eric Webb. We're going to talk about some stuff we're into right now. Eric Webb, what you got? So I've got a movie for you. It is an Oscar nominee, Cold War, by Pavel Pavlikovsky. It's showing at the Austin Film Society right now, theater. It is as bleak as a romance set in Poland during the Cold War would be, that you would assume it would be. Rather, uh, it's shot in black and white and like really beautiful, stark black and white. There's no muddy grays in it whatsoever. The whole th- whole movie looks like it's just glowing. Oh, it's wow. beautiful. Um, it's darkly comic. And the two leads, uh, they are Joanna Kulig and Tomas Kat, are both just A, incredibly gorgeous people. But B, they kind of have an old Hollywood sensibility about them that really works with a movie that's set during the Cold War. And the movie spans several years, I think from the late 40s all the way into the 60s. But uh, it's it just sort of a star-crossed lovers, things always tearing them apart, uh, set in Poland and Paris and back again. And it's not as depressing as I thought it would be, but uh, I recommend anyone see it. They just like a good kind of historic romance that also has a little bit of a bite to it. Ooh, I Saw some trailers for that. And she's a lounge singer, jazz singer, something like that? She's a singer in general. And that's part of, part of the plot is about, I guess, genre and, you know, having your art and having your art take lots of different forms mm. that might be in some ways determined by the political climate that you live in. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. a great one, Eric Webb. Yeah. Okay, Sharon, what have you been watching, listening, reading to, reading lately? I also have something for your viewing pleasure. It's a series on Netflix. I discovered it around the holidays because there was a lot of Twitter chatter about it. And it's called Dairy Girls. It premiered a year ago on Irish TV, I think. 
and was an instant hit, apparently. After the first episode aired, they ordered a whole season. The second season has been filmed. They're about to start airing it in the UK. So hopefully soon it'll be on Netflix. But it's set in the 1990s in Northern Ireland, British-occupied Northern Ireland. It's a sitcom. It follows a 16-year-old girl, three of her friends, and then the cousin of one of her friends, who's a young boy from London. And they all go to an all-girls Catholic school, which I went to an all-girls Catholic school, so I immediately connected with this. It's set in the 90s, so all the 90s music. And so it is a comedy, but they have the backdrop of the occupation and what's going on with that. So in fact, I don't want to give anything away, but there are a few you know, out or shout outs to the political situation and bombings and some real life incidents that happen. But it's just so funny and so sweet. I love that it's a comedy. Yeah. When you originally told me about this, I thought it was more serious. I know it sounds yeah. like it, doesn't it? But it's in their episodes, I think are half an hour. It's like a sitcom um, or it is a sitcom. Uh, there's one episode and this isn't really a spoiler where they uh, think that they've experienced a miracle. <laughs> and so they report it to their school um, or not a miracle. It's sort of a Virgin Mary manifestation type thing. It's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so then a priest comes to investigate it. And of course, they all like, have a crush on the priest because he's young and cute. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we, I remember those days. Uh, it's very confusing at Catholic school sometimes. But it's just charming and funny. And I just love it. I cannot wait for the next season to come out on Netflix. So. I can't wait for the whole slew of like nostalgic 90s television and <sighs> movies that we're going to see over the next decade. Well, every episode has 90s music, like pop music. Mm, that's really it's cool. Pop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well underway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it will take you back that's and cool. you will love it. Uh, so I will recommend this week actually something that's not so new, but it's new to me. And it's the podcast Dirty John. Sharon had recommended this to me last year in a, you know, IRL toast that we do around the newsroom. And she, I'm not really a huge fan of these, you know, true crime mystery podcasts. I, I like nonfiction podcasts, but sometimes the dark stabby ones, I'm like, there's enough stabby stuff in the world. I don't need to hear quite so much about it. But this one really hooked me. It's about this deceitful bad guy who had been for 30 years just terrorizing people's lives but getting away with it and even sometimes suing his victims and and just he was a con man worse than a con man but the production value of basically it's a podcast from the la times came out maybe two years ago something like that yeah that sounds right and then uh, it was made into a television show that just came out last year starring connie Britton, which i haven't seen but it's based on, uh, you know, this true story. And so the podcast interviews, you know, his ex, a couple of his ex-wives, um, you know, college roommates, lawyers who had refused to take him on as a client because they got so creeped out by him. But it really gets into the psychology of how he was able to gain trust with all of these people he deceived and conned over the years. And then the very last few episodes, when you start to figure out like what ends up happening in the situation, it was just totally had me on, you know the edge of my seat and I was like intentionally going on long walks so I could finish the, the series. So Dirty yeah. John. I love it. All right. Cool. Awesome. So if you're like me and you haven't actually listened to that true crime oh, you podcast. haven't listened to it. No, I haven't listened to it. Do you it. listen to those kinds of podcasts in I'm general? I'm not a true crime guy normally. I'm not a normal one either. I, with you, I don't like the really dark stabby and I also don't, I, I feel weird sometimes about celebrating what might be mm -hmm. murder. I don't want to do that but it's just a really good story and it's done in a very tasteful way i think and respectful yeah absolutely well like yeah. the making of a murderer like i never watched any of that stuff but. me either yeah that was a little too dark for me yeah um but then on the flip side uh, there's like plenty of jonathan van ness podcasts that i have i'm like 30 episodes behind so i will be catching up on that thanks for joining me guys thanks Eddie. thanks that's our show thanks for listening 
Our theme music is provided by local band Hardproof. To keep up with us online, we're Love Austin 360 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you get a chance, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is a production of the features staff at the Austin American Statesman, and the show is produced by Alyssa Vidalis and Addie Broyles. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch us an idea for the show or give us some feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave us a voicemail at 512-912-2504. We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your Marie kondo hand-me-downs. Until next week, we'll see you sparking joy wherever you go. Bye.